slides it out for Ekblad. Back to Hoffman, blocked by Polak and Rice! Another spectacular stop! Broussard tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Marcel with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, hello everybody and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Great to be with you. Hope everyone is staying safe and maintaining the social distancing. Yet another day without NHL hockey, but always news and conversations about the game of hockey. And we'll talk a little bit about a a possible plan that the NHL is floating for the NHL draft, we'll also have a exciting double overtime game from this date in Islanders history. And, of course, we will continue our look back at the highlights of the 2019-2020 season so far. All of this and a lot more to come on today's show. If you've got something that's on your mind that's Islanders-related, have a question, a comment, uh, please feel free to shoot us an email, the email address, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. Leave your name, tell us where you're from, and uh, we'll be happy to mention you on the show when we talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. You could follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles, and you could follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYRVSNYI, and we'll keep you up to date on all the latest news, rumors, and Everything else, New York Islanders. So, let's start out with this. Uh, First of all, last night, uh, some nice refreshing games from December of 1990 on the air at MSG+. Uh, Last night, 7 o'clock, a New Year's Eve game from uh, December 31st, 1990 against the Quebec Nordique. Always love those uniforms. Uh, of the Nords, and uh, big game for Derek King. That was nice to see. And then uh, last night at 10 o'clock, a December 20th game from that same year, 90-91, against the Hartford Whalers uh, with David Volick having a big game in that one. Again, just nice to see some of these older players and, you know, Derek King and, and David Volick and I, I just enjoy the, the, the trip down memory lane and hard to believe it's been 30 years uh, almost since those two games took place. And obviously the Quebec Nordique, now the Colorado Avalanche, the Hartford Whalers, now the uh, Carolina Hurricane. And I have to say, kudos to the Canes for uh, a couple of games a year, putting on the old green Hartford jerseys. I always you know, like those and, and, uh, do miss brass bonanza was a, uh, overall just a fun song to listen to. Uh, as far as the Islanders and, uh, NHL are concerned, some talk 
right now being discussed about the league still holding the NHL draft in June, even if that's before the season is able to continue or the playoffs are able to get underway. And there are some reasons to like this idea, and there are some reasons to dislike the idea. First of all, obviously, the draft is not going to be held the way it traditionally is. And I think, you know, tomorrow's NFL draft will more or less be the model for how the NHL would do their draft this year. It's going to be done via conference call. It's not all the general managers and players are all going to be in the same place. It's all going to be done virtually. And that's, look, that's the way a lot of people are doing their work these days. And that's the way the NFL is holding their draft, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this week. And quite honestly, that's going to probably be the way the NHL does it. So not going to be held in Montreal, although the league has promised that city that they will host another draft in the near future. But, you know, doing it virtually, Bill Daly said that was one plan that was being considered holding it in June. Now, why would you want to hold it in June? First of all, more than anything, it would give the NHL the ability to make some headlines and give hockey fans something to analyze, look forward to, watch, uh, that is actually hockey-related. And look, let's face it, by June, doubtful the NHL and NBA are back to their normal schedules. Doubtful, you know, the NFL certainly wouldn't be starting Will Major League Baseball be underway by early to mid-June? I I don't know. I really don't know. But it would be an opportunity for the National Hockey League to give hockey fans something to whet their appetites, something new, something that matters, something that fans of all 31 teams can analyze, discuss, break down. It's positive publicity. It's fresh content, it's new analysis, it's something that has a build-up and and then a payoff. You analyze it and predict things beforehand, you then break it down afterwards, you get some nice TV ratings, and it certainly allows the front offices of all 31 teams to get busy and keep on something resembling, at least, their normal schedules. Also, If this year's Stanley Cup playoffs end in August or even September, then having to hold the draft after that, again, you run the risk of things being pushed into uh, next season and delaying next season, whereas if you get the draft done beforehand, that's not a problem. The problem is this. How do you organize it? Because... The draft order is always done based on a combination of the regular season standings. And then, you know, whoever wins the Stanley Cup picks last. The Stanley Cup finalist who loses in that round goes next to last and and, and so on. But if the season isn't over and the season is then played, you know, if they continue the regular season once they get the go-ahead to do so, the actual final standings could be very different from the draft order. And maybe you have to do things a little bit more by lottery. 
Maybe you go, you know, one through 10 or one through five, and then you do a lottery, six through 10 in the standings, you know, and then you do your lottery and, and so forth and so on to determine where teams pick. But no matter what you do, it's not going to be fair to everybody and everybody is going to complain. The other thing is this. You could have a situation where you're holding the draft. You can't hold free agency before the draft. And you can't really know necessarily, you know, players could get injured in the playoffs, you know, let's say, or if the regular season resumes. And teams won't know what the injuries are. Teams may not know the full contract status of different players. There are a lot of variables involved that would make things difficult. And the other thing that certainly would be almost impossible to do is make a draft day trade involving a player. And that's always a big part of the draft. It's always one of the more exciting parts of the draft and the unexpected parts of the draft. You can't do that if the player then has to play the rest of this season or the rest of this year's playoffs with their team that already traded them for next season. So there are some obstacles that need to be figured out. That's not to say it's impossible, but it's one of the things the league is considering. There are pros and cons, and we'll see what it is the NHL decides to do. All right, so we'll see what the National Hockey League decides to do. I think they would love to get it in in June, the draft, if they can. Uh, but there are some real obstacles to it. But look, let's face it. You, you're not going to find, under these present circumstances, the perfect solution to the problem. These are not normal times. Any hockey fan, sports fan, or quite honestly right now, almost any person alive, in the, especially here in the New York metropolitan area, is going to tell you that. So if the NHL can come up with a reasonable solution, obviously having some positive hockey news, even if it is an off-ice event like the draft, if they can find a way to do it and do it pretty fairly, I think we we will live without draft day trades for one year, I guess, if we need to. But again, we'll see what Commissioner Gary Bettman and, you know, Vice Commissioner Bill Daly and all the rest of them can come up with when it comes to that. Time for this date now in Islanders history. We take you back to April the 22nd, 2016. This game being played at the at the BB&T Center down in Florida. 20,247 fans on hand to see the Panthers host the Islanders in Game 5 of their opening round playoff series. The Islanders had won games one and three of the series. The Panthers had won games two and four. So this was the pivotal fifth game. And winner of this one would have a big advantage when it came to clinching this best of seven series. Tomas Grice was in goal for the Islanders against Roberto Luongo of the Florida Panthers. And it was the Islanders getting on the board first. In the first period, Franz Nielsen picked up his third goal of the series and obviously third of the playoffs. 
Thomas Hickey with the assist. Time of the goal, 13:31, and after 20 minutes, the Islanders had a one-to-nothing lead. No scoring in the second period. Florida had a golden opportunity to tie it up when John Tavares headed off for slashing at 17:28. But I'll tell you, Tom Thomas Grice had a spectacular game in this one for the Islanders. And after 40 minutes, the Islanders still held that one to nothing lead. That lasted until early in the third period. And Alexander Barkov of Florida got his second of the playoffs from Alexander Petrovich and the veteran Yaramir Yager. That one coming again at 159 of the third period. We are all even at one, and we head to overtime. In overtime, a penalty shot was awarded to the Florida Panthers. Calvin DeHaan of the Islanders covered the puck while it was in the Islanders' crease, covered it up with his glove. Penalty shot awarded to Alexander Barkov, This was it. For the game, Barkov came in and Grice able to keep the puck out of the net. That happened at 7-19 of the first overtime period. Game remained knotted at one apiece, and we headed to double overtime. In double overtime, it was the Islanders' turn to get some power play opportunities. First, Yager. Heading off for tripping at 5.06 of double overtime. But Luongo comes up big. Panthers able to kill off that power play. And then Derek McKenzie of the Panthers called for slashing at 14.31. And the Islanders found themselves again with a chance to win it with the man advantage. This time they would get the job done. And it was a player who spent most of the year in the AHL, Alan Quine. His first of the playoffs from Marek Zidlicki and Thomas Hickey. Time of the goal, 16 minutes in double overtime. The Islanders escape with a 2-1 win in this game and take that critical 3-2 lead in the series in this one. Tomas Grice, 47 saves in 48 shots to earn the victory. Tough loss for Roberto Luongo. He made 40 saves in 42 shots, playing 96 minutes of hockey. Grice played 95-58 as uh, I guess he was off the ice for two seconds during a delayed penalty call. As far as the Islanders were concerned, two points in this one, For Thomas Hickey, he had a pair of assists, and Franz Nielsen was the only player for the Islanders who was a plus one. John Tavares was a minus one, and every other Islander player in this game was even. As far as shots on goal were concerned, a lot of Islanders tied for the team lead with five. That includes Brock Nelson, Franz Nielsen, Alan Quine, and John Tavares. So, to tell you about this one, John Tavares, for example, played 31 minutes and 49 seconds. 
Travis Hamanick, 34 minutes and 16 seconds. Nick Letty leading all Islanders skaters with 38 minutes, 54 seconds of ice time. So one of those marathon games, Islanders go on to win it in double overtime. And game six would also end up being a double overtime affair. And we all know what happened in that one. So big overtime win for the Islanders and a great moment for Alan Quine as he gets the double overtime game winner on the power play. So let's talk a little bit about some more highlights of this season so far, 2019-2020. We are going to save that 17-game point streak for a little bit later on in the week, but we certainly will analyze it thoroughly when we get to it. But let's talk a little bit about some off-the-ice issues here. One big thing is the construction that was going on in uh, the Belmont Park Arena. And, you know, that is just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing that basically took place right before this season got underway. Ground broken on the arena in Belmont on September 23rd. 2019, so what, about a week and a half, two weeks before the season got underway, and you can see, you know, online the progress being made on what is going to be the Islanders' new arena, and look, this arena is a big step forward for this franchise. First of all, it guarantees that they stay here in the Long Island area. Second of all, it means that they will have a state-of-the-art facility that is made and built for hockey, and that is a very important factor. Look, you say what you want about the Barclays uh, Center, and it's a nice enough arena. It's great for concerts, great for basketball. The location wasn't great for a lot of fans on Long Island as far as getting there, but look, the place just wasn't built for hockey. and. I could care less that the scoreboard was off-center. It wasn't over the red line. It was over one of the blue lines. Quite honestly, if nobody told you that, it wouldn't make a difference to 99% of the people sitting up in the stands. But the fact that the ice quality wasn't good, that the sight lines weren't great for hockey, um, it just wasn't built to, to host hockey games. That was the big problem. And... Having a new arena is certainly a very, very big step forward for this franchise. They have had arena issues, the Islanders, really since the late 80s, early 90s. And probably the early to mid-90s is when the Nassau Coliseum should have either been very thoroughly renovated or, you know, replaced. And yet, you know, that never happened. The lighthouse never happened. A lot of political turmoil getting in the way and a lot of uh, other things that really hurt this franchise for a long time. But now all of those arena issues, the team is not moving to, to Kansas City. They're not moving to Quebec City. 
they are going to be the New York Islanders. They are going to be in a location that is much more convenient for Long Island fans to get to than the Barclays Center. And for those fans coming from Manhattan or from Brooklyn or Queens, it's also going to be easier to get to than the Nassau Coliseum. So the arena situation, definitely an off-ice highlight for this New York Islanders team. Then I wanted to talk briefly about the two deals that the Islanders made at the trade deadline. I think that, you know, both of these deals made sense. First of all, the acquisition of Andy Green from the Devils about a week before the actual trade deadline. I liked this move. Look, Green is 37. He has a contract that expires at the end of this year. But with the Pelic injury, the Islanders needed a steady, reliable defenseman who would give them enough minutes that, you know, Barry Trotz could feel like he could rely on this player in any situation. And Andy Green certainly fit that mold. And he did a good enough job in the brief, what was it, about uh, 10 games or so that he played for the Islanders and it just proved that here is a guy who is positionally sound, he's experienced, and a guy like Noah Dobson, who really, you know, Trotz wasn't able to rely on just yet. And I think Dobson's going to be a very good player when push comes to shove. But a guy like Noah Dobson can learn a lot from watching a guy like Andy Green. Green played exactly 10 games for the Islanders. He had uh, three assists in those 10 games, was even in his plus-minus. And I, I just think, you know, he was a low-cost, good-fitting option. And Green has indicated he wants to come back next year. Whether the Islanders would have him or not, whether he would fit in, remains to be seen. But at least it's an option and it was a good, low-cost pickup. The other uh, pickup, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, uh, to me was a, a no-brainer. He, theoretically at least, uh, solidifies the Islanders' third line. He scored two goals in his Islanders' debut, finished with exactly those two goals in seven games. Here's a guy who could play on the penalty kill, he could play on the power play. He can move up into your top six if you need it. He was, a, you know, leading the Ottawa Senators in goals at the time of the trade. This is a career year for him. He's probably more of a 20-goal scorer than a 30-goal scorer, but a solid addition for the third line. And initially, I thought they overpaid for Pajot, but once they announced that they had signed him to an extension, that Pajot was not going to be a rental player, then it made sense for this deal. The, the, the price would have been way too steep for a rental player, but once they announced he was signed to a, a lengthy contract extension, the deal to me was worth it. It made sense and a good addition to the team. Also good in the face-off circle, which is something that the Islanders certainly need. And, and when you have someone like Pajot, he can come in, especially in a playoff situation, and take 
draws in the defensive zone that you really want to win big time, that is always uh, something important. And hopefully once the playoffs get underway, that is something we'll see from Jean-Gabriel Pajot. All right. Uh, don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, please uh, tell a friend, tell a family member, any Islander fans you know. You could also help us grow the Locked On Islanders family by leaving us a five-star rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice. Well, that wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. Keep that social distancing going. We will get through this together. Uh, I'm glad to be here to talk a little hockey with you every day. See you tomorrow, and let's go Islanders!